The scripture passage this morning comes from the Gospel of John, the 12th chapter, starting in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always will have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray together. God, who redeemed Israel from slavery in Egypt, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God who took on flesh in the form of a mere baby and depended on the hospitality and kindness of a mother and of strangers and of friends, be with us this morning and teach us to love more perfectly. Amen. Good morning and Merry Christmas. As Neil said, my name is Mary Ellen Poe. I work at Church World Service Greensboro, which is a local refugee resettlement agency here in town. This summer, um, First Presbyterian actually collected welcome kits for, for refugees in, in the city, and we were so, so grateful. I graduated from Princeton Seminary in May 2018 and moved to Greensboro shortly thereafter. So I've been here about 18 months. Um, but when I came, I didn't know a soul. It was a new place. And I think the combination of being in an unfamiliar city and also working with refugees who are newcomers themselves, it's made me think a lot about hospitality. And I think in the, the past, growing up, when I, when I considered hospitality, I immediately thought of Southern hospitality, um, but also in particular I thought of my grandmother's Christmas dinner and having the whole family there, presents of course, um, food, the turkey, the fine china, the linen, tin pies for tin people, um, the works. And we're, we're in the season of Christmas now and it's it's a time when hospitality is often put on display. I think about having office Christmas parties, uh, friends and family open up their doors, um, we exchange gifts. It's a time of hospitality and it's warm and joyful and comfortable. But hospitality is not always so 
tidy, is it? This past summer, I met my parents who are here today at the beach at Polly's Island, South Carolina for a week of vacation. And while we were there, a family member invited us to dinner at her house. She said, dinner at six. And we were excited because she is a great cook. And so we knew we had a good meal in store for us, so we ate lightly that day. And I knew we were in trouble when only after we arrived at six o'clock did she start preparing the dinner. So at six, she started washing the lettuce and chopping up stuff to go in the salad. At seven o'clock, she started chopping up the potato. 7.30, she put the cobbler in the oven. Eight o'clock, put the potatoes in the oven. 8.30, turned on the grill. And at nine o'clock, we finally sat down to eat. And it was a delicious meal. But when you're hungry and dependent upon a host for food, hospitality quickly um, can feel like a hostage situation. <laughs> and I'm sure we all have stories of discomfort or awkwardness, um, both when we've hosted and when we've been a guest, a dinner party gone wrong, meeting the in-laws for the first time, hosting them. Or maybe this was the first Christmas that you didn't host. Maybe the first Christmas you went to another family member's or to a child, your child's home for Christmas. Something new, different. It's often a messy business. And in the scripture passage from John this morning, we see a profoundly uncomfortable experience of hospitality. And to, to get that, let's think about what's led up to this moment. Um, in, in the previous chapter, in chapter 11, Jesus does Mary and Martha a favor. He, he raises their brother from the dead. And while they were overjoyed, it sent shockwaves through the community. So much so that the religious leaders caught wind of it and, and they panicked. They were scared. Um, so much so that they believed Jesus was a threat and they wanted him silenced. Hindsight is 2020, so to, to give the leaders a little bit of, of grace. Let's think about their perspective. At, at this time in, in Judea, messianic figures were popping up like dandelions every, you know, so often. And, and um, there was one particular instance. It would have been about the time Jesus was born. And a man named Judas of, of Galilee claimed to be the Messiah, led a revolt, and the Jewish historian Josephus said that the Roman governor at the time squashed that rebellion and crucified 2,000 Jews in Jerusalem as a response. That would have been in the leader's memory. That would have been in the community's memory. The risk of rebellion and what would happen if it failed. 
so their understandable fear, um, as fear so often does, caused them to unjustly perceive an innocent man, Jesus, as a threat. So much so that um, the, script, the verse just before the passage this morning said, quote, the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who knew where Jesus was should let them know so that they might arrest him. I don't know about you, but were someone to be listed as America's most wanted, my instinct would not be to throw them a dinner party. But that is exactly what Mary, Martha, and Lazarus do. They ignore the threats to Jesus and to those who associate with Jesus, and they throw a dinner in his honor. It's a peculiar scene. On the one hand, it's the celebration of life. It's gratitude for Jesus having raised their brother from the dead. But I can only imagine that there's also some other emotions in that moment. They would have known that their friend Jesus, his life was now forfeit because he had saved Lazarus. So I could imagine some, some guilt, maybe, at the party. This mixture of emotions of guilt and gratitude, shame and thankfulness. And then it becomes even more peculiar because Mary's hospitality takes a turn towards extravagance. She took expensive nard in the amount valued at one year's salary. One year's salary. And she used it to anoint Jesus' feet. And this just drives Judas crazy. And I know the text says that Judas was hoping to simply pocket the money for his own benefit. He was a thief. But as I read the passage over and over, I, I kind of kept asking Judas's question too. Why are, why are we using this oil in this way, Jesus? They were on the run after all. Judas understandably could have thought, Jesus, we're the poor ones. <laughs> We're fleeing from the authorities. Simple self-interested pragmatism. And I kept asking myself that. And as I kept asking myself, why? Why did Jesus permit this? A memory from my own life uh, kept coming up. When I was in middle school, my grandfather, who was, I think, 91 at the time, moved into our house for the last month of his life. He had been in a nursing home and had experienced severe neglect there. And so um, my parents and my mom's siblings made the decision that he would come to live with my family. And he was a World War II vet, an entrepreneur, this wise, humble, unassuming man, now in this really humbling situation um, where his food had to be pureed. Um, he had trouble swallowing. 
And he lived with us the last month of his life until he died. And um, my, my mom cut back her hours at work to take care of him, rearranging the house, kind of upturned our rhythm, changed our life for that month, and it was hard. It was hard to see a loved one in that condition, and it was hard for him. But as I've spoken with my mom about that time since then, the word that she uses to describe it is that it was precious to her. That month to care for her father, to prepare the man who had given her life, to prepare him for death, was precious to her. And it didn't matter um, giving up hours at work. It didn't matter paying more for a sitter and paying for the adjustments in the house. It was worth it because it was precious to her. Unlike Judas and really all of the other disciples who never quite seemed to grasp that Jesus was about to die, Mary understood the situation. She read the moment and she saw that Jesus, her beloved friend, the man who had given, restored her brother back to her, is dangerously close to being killed. So anointing a person with nard which was an aromatic oil, was a common practice to prepare a body for burial. Mary is preparing Jesus for death at this dinner party. It's a moment of extravagant hospitality, painful but precious. But Mary knew what it was to be welcomed and loved by Jesus. According to other gospel accounts, he had said, come, come, listen with the men. Listen to my teachings with the men. He had raised her brother from the dead, and when she had the opportunity to host Jesus, she did so well. And I wonder, as Jesus sat in his friend's house, being prepared for his death, being hunted by the authorities. I wonder if he thought back on his own life and his memories and recalled his parents telling him that when he was born, they weren't in their home with their family. They were going back to Bethlehem because of an order for a census. And there wasn't room. There wasn't room for his mother to deliver him. And I wonder if he remembered being raised in Egypt as a refugee child who had been hunted earlier by a wrathful King Herod. And I wonder if he thought about the other dinner parties he had gone to with social pariahs, tax collectors, and sinners. Or if he remembered being a guest at a joyful wedding celebration at Cana. Jesus knew the horrors and the delights of hospitality. 
And sitting in Mary's house, he depended once again on the kindness of others to meet his human needs. And in his birth and in this moment, the God who took on flesh, the God who subsumed the role of guest, sanctifies that very human experience that we all have known to be a stranger and to be a guest and to be in an unfamiliar, sometimes scary place. I've learned a lot about hospitality uh, at my work at Church World Service. In the past few months, I met a woman, a refugee woman named Elizabeth. She fled Congo in 2009 with her four children. And um, she and they um, went to Uganda and lived in a camp for three years. And while they were there, they depended on um, charitable organizations to meet their, just to provide food for them. Um, but there weren't enough resources, and so she was forced to make the decision, you can either have a food ration or you can send your children to school. And she chose to send her children to school. So every day, she'd make sambusas, uh, which is a type of food. She'd put them in a dish, carry them on her shoulder, and sell them to make enough food for her family. And she still has a scar on her shoulder from the weight of carrying that food around, trying to make enough um, to support her family in the camp. But she ended up being one of the lucky 1% who would be resettled in another country, and the U.S. State Department let her know that she would be resettled in Greensboro, North Carolina, of all places. And so in 2012, she came. Um, and since then, she's become a citizen and a homeowner, and her, all of her children are in college. But she depended on help from strangers to learn a new language and a new culture. But it wasn't an easy journey, made more difficult by the fact that the year after she came to Greensboro, uh, her sister in Congo died, leaving her, her niece and nephew there, orphaned as, as children under 10. And so since 2013, she has been supporting her niece and nephew, who are now refugees themselves in Uganda. And she herself, in this financially precarious situation through those years of trying to um, get used to a new city, of not having much, um, didn't um, say no to her niece and nephew but treated them as her own children and um, prays for them every day. And she was very much a guest, a stranger in this community, and yet she hosted and extended a great amount of hospitality to her family. All of us, like Elizabeth, flit in and out of being the host with a wealth of resources to share and being a guest, a stranger, 
being someone in a new place, whether that's because you've just retired after 40 years in the same job and you find yourself in a new season, you depend on other people to help you find your way again, or because you've actually moved yourself to a new city. Maybe this is the first Christmas that you did host Christmas dinner. But to be a guest, to be a stranger, is a very human experience. Today, this first Sunday of Christmas, know that the God of all creation took on flesh, dwelt among us, and through this act of becoming a guest himself, has adopted you not as strangers or as guests, but as children of God. And as the text from Deuteronomy says, remember, remember when you come into your inheritance, Israel, remember that you were once strangers and God redeemed you. So go forth being mindful that you are children of God and take care of the stranger, take care of the widow and the orphan, and may God's glory guide you and be with you.